Well, Harbour City and friends, today we're into the third and final part of our essential sermon series that we've been in uh, for the last few weeks now. And during this time, we've been looking at I guess ideas that are key to our faith, but also that are written in our souls, deep desires and needs inside of every human being on the planet. So we've been talking about identity, belonging, and today we're ending the series talking about purpose. Now, for a lot of people, as we've gone through 2020 and the start of 2021, we've been in survival mode. We've had our heads down. We've been just trying to get through each day, persevere, just take each day, one day at a time. And if you can believe it, this Sunday, today, is the one-year anniversary of our last Sunday gathering in person at Glenwood Prep School. A whole year has gone by. And I'm sure a lot of you were there and remember that day, um, even though a lot has happened since then. On that Sunday, uh, Nathan, Dr. Green, got up and he shared with us a little bit more about COVID because this was all still new to us and we didn't know too much about the coronavirus back then. And he spoke to us about how to respond, how to be good citizens in this time, how to understand this thing, and then led us in praying for South Africa and what was going on around the world. We also had our friend uh, Nigel Richardson from Trinity Church in Morningside with us, and we were preaching our How We Change series, which came to an abrupt end after that Sunday, and Nigel was talking to us about the importance of Scripture in helping us to change, and we all finished that Sunday, grabbed a coffee, spent time chatting to one another, no masks in sight, and then went home not knowing that it would be another 30 weeks until we met in person again on the 11th of October at a different time and at a different place. And now a year later, we're in a space where some of the realities and uncertainties that we are facing don't seem to be going away anytime soon. Now, we don't know what the next while looks like. We don't know if there'll be a third wave or how intense it'll be or when it'll hit. We don't know if there'll be further lockdowns or how strict they'll be. We don't know what's going on with our economy here, which contracted by 7% in this last year. We don't know what's going on around the world. There's so many big news stories and crazy things happening around the world which means that we can't just keep our heads down and continue to live in survival mode forever. We need to live, and we can't forsake the important things that God has called us to, His purpose, His will, His call in this world. And even in this weird time, we need to prioritize the mission of God, the purpose of God, the reason that we as a church live and exist in this world. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Some of you will know this quote. It's been attributed to Mark Twain. They're not really sure who said it. But the quote goes, The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. I really love that quote. And I want to ask you today, do you know why you are on this earth? And do you live with purpose? Are you living with a sense of mission uh, and purpose in this world? In 2002, a book was released titled The Purpose Driven Life, which I'm sure a lot of you have read or have heard of before. It was written by a pastor from Southern California named Rick Warren. He wrote it specifically for his church, Saddleback. And I'm not talking about this today because this is a Christian book. I'm mentioning it today because of the unprecedented popularity and success that this book had, not just in Southern California, but all around the world. This book has, in the 19 years that it's been published, been sold, uh, has sold over 50 million copies. It's been translated into over 85 languages around the world, which makes it the second most translated book 
in history after the Bible and the best-selling nonfiction hardback in history. I could tell you more stats about its success and how it set records, but I won't get into that. I just want to say Rick Warren described this as an anti-self-help book. And if you've read the book, I think the most iconic part is the first line, the first sentence, it's not about you. It's not about you, from which Warren goes into the remainder of the chapter, trying to explain how the quest for personal fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in life is not found inside ourselves and our short lives, but it's found when we start with God and when we start with what He is at work doing in the world, His eternal purposes, and when we plug our lives into Him and into the story of what He is trying to do in our world. Now listen, I'm not trying to sell this book. I haven't read it in over a decade, but I remember when I did it, it impacted me significantly. My point rather is that the reason I believe that this book did so well and seemed to strike a chord with people all around the world from all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds is that it was speaking about something that everyone was thinking about and it was answering questions that everyone was asking. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Does my life have meaning or value? And what is it? So with that in mind, what does Jesus have to say about these things? You know, in this essential series so far, we've looked at our new identity in Christ. We've looked at belonging to the new family of God in Christ. And today I'm talking about our new purpose in Christ, our new mission in Christ. So I just want to say up front, this, this sermon today isn't going to help you personally to understand your unique call in this world. It's not going to help you to know your unique purpose uh, or speak about gifting or what job to take or what decision to make. We did that in 2019. We did a series called Gifted and a series called Called. And you can check that out and that'll help you. I really think it will. But rather, this sermon is about the purpose and call and mission that every Christian everywhere throughout all time is called to. This is about what those who are in Christ live for. This is about the family business of the family of God. And really, this is why we exist, Harbor City. If you've been around our church for a while, this will come as no surprise. The answer is discipleship. Discipleship is our purpose. So let me show you a little bit more about that from the scriptures. We're in Mark 1 and Matthew 28 today. So if you want to turn to Mark 1, it starts in verse 14 and says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, I love their response, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their old lives, they left their business, they left everything to follow Jesus. I think maybe for some of you today, that's the call is will you immediately respond to the word of God? Will, will you leave things behind to follow him and give your life to him? What we see here is Jesus goes into a town called Galilee. He goes into a city called Durban. Wherever you are living, he comes into a place like that and he proclaims the gospel of God and he calls men and women like you and I to follow him and be his disciples. I want to ask you a question today. Very simple question. Yes or no answer. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Have you heard this invitation of Jesus before and did you respond to it? And secondly, and maybe this is more important than your first answer, is did your response to Jesus and this invitation look like the response we see here in Mark chapter 1? 
You see, in this text, Jesus calls us to follow him and he shows us that the way that we do this, the way that we become his disciples starts when we repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now, I know for some of you, those are churchy words. Those aren't words we necessarily use every day. So when you hear repent and believe, maybe you can kind of substitute them with the words rethink and trust. To repent means to rethink. To believe means to trust. And Jesus in this moment is coming into our world as God in the flesh. And he's calling us to rethink the world that we live and in everything we know about ourselves, everything we understand about who we are, and to put him at the center as king. Jesus says repent and believe and he gives us the reason why. He says because the kingdom of God is at hand. And maybe another way of understanding what he's trying to say there is Jesus is saying to us, what story are you going to live in? What story are you going to be a part of? What story are you going to live out of? Is it the story of the world which has most intrigued you? Or is it the story of your God? Which story are you going to believe in and trust in and put your weight into? And what story are you going to live in and look for identity and belonging and purpose? What story are you choosing? One of the stories the world tells or the story of your maker, the story that he invites you into. See, Jesus is calling us to rethink everything in light of him and his kingdom and to live a whole new way. And he calls us to repent here. My favorite definition of repent is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of life. We change the way we think. We change what we love and worship and desire. And in turn, it changes our entire lives. So I want to ask you, have you repented of your sin? And secondly, are you living ongoingly? A life of repentance in Christ. Jesus calls us to repent and he calls us to live a life of faith. He calls us to believe in him, to trust in him, to build our lives in him rather than in other things. Have you repented and believe? Have you responded to Jesus' call? Are you a disciple of Jesus this morning? Maybe when I use that word disciple, you're not familiar with it. You're not 100% sure what it means. Dallas Willard says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that. John Mark Comer says the same thing in a slightly cooler way. He says, discipleship to Jesus is about one simple question. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? Are you a disciple of Jesus today? And to those of you who answer no, that's absolutely fine. But I want to ask you, well, if you're not following Jesus, who or what are you following? You know, do you know, have you thought about where you're being led? Have you thought about who you're becoming? Because if we're not going to be disciples of Jesus, we will be disciples of someone or something else. Everyone is following something. Everyone is worshiping something. Have you thought through who or what that is? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his disciples to three things. Firstly, to follow him. Secondly, he calls us to a transformed life, to become like him. He says it this way, I will make you become. It's transformation language or what theologians would call sanctification. And he calls us thirdly to a life of purpose and mission in him. You and I are not just called to be disciples. We are also called to make disciples. And in Mark 1, we see that the work of a disciple is not just to follow Jesus. It's not just to become like him. It's also to make fishes of men. 
See, we are called to be disciples who make disciples, who hopefully make disciples, who make disciples, and so on. We are called to follow Jesus and to call others to follow him, to help others to follow him too. And Paul the Apostle writes it slightly differently. He says it this way to someone that he has discipled. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. I love that language. Follow me as I follow Christ. Discipleship is about responding to Jesus' call to follow him personally. And it's about calling out to others and inviting them to follow us as we follow him, to follow Jesus together. It's not either or. It's got to be both and. And what we see throughout the scriptures is that this process, that discipleship is relational. Firstly, it involves our relationship with Jesus. But secondly, it involves and shapes and redefines our relationship with everyone else. I read a book this last week that had an example of this that really spoke to me. The author was a pastor named Jared Wilson, and he was talking about a friend, a mentor, a fellow pastor who'd impacted his life significantly. His name was Ray Ortland. He actually wrote the foreword to the book. And he said every time he would go and spend time with Ray, he would leave that time together thinking, wow, Ray is a friend of Jesus. And I love that. You know, Jared was saying that as he spent time with Ray, he was so impacted by his obvious relationship and love for Jesus that he left there inspired and encouraged, wanting more of Jesus for himself. You know, this is discipleship. Follow me as I follow Christ. Ray's friendship with Jesus, strengthening Jared's friendship with Jesus. Ray's following of Jesus, inspiring and helping Jared's following of Jesus. And Ray's love for Jesus helping to fan into flame the love that Jared has for Jesus himself, and in turn inspiring me as I read that on another continent, on the other side of the world, freshly impacted by the fact that in John 15, Jesus calls us friends. Yes, he calls us to follow him. Yes, he is our Lord, our God, and our Savior. But in John 15, Jesus says, I no longer just call you servants. I call you my friends. I want to have a friendship with Jesus, just like I have a friendship with many of you watching this. And when I read this in this book, I wrote down on a little yellow uh, sticky note and put it on my laptop, Jesus is my friend. And Shell saw it and she thought it was a cry for help. She thought I was lonely, which I'm not at all. So she wrote next to that, and me and August, which I thought was really, really cute. So I'm actually looking at the note right now. Jesus is my friend and girl and Porgy. Very, very cute. But you and I can have a friendship with Jesus just like we have a friendship with anyone in our life. Jesus is real and he's inviting us into that. So you are called to be a disciple and you are called to make disciples. This isn't just for some of us. I know what some of you are thinking as you watch this at home. You're going, yeah, yeah, grand. I know who you're talking to. I know this isn't for me. I know, I know which sliver of the church this is for. No, this is for all of us. This isn't just for the really mature and confident Christians. This isn't just for the natural leaders and extroverts and kind of charismatic, outgoing Christians. This is for all Christians everywhere. This is for you. If you are a Christian, this commission is for you. And in a passage that has been called the Great Commission, Jesus says this to us as disciples. Matthew 28 verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's hard to just get past that, you know, and then go into the rest because that is so significant. Jesus doesn't say some authority has been given to me or I have all authority over earth and some other people have got authority over heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm at the top of the food chain. I'm the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I have all authority over all things everywhere. And because of that, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a whole lot of words and ideas in those three verses which can stick out to us. I don't know what stuck out to you right now, but in the church that I grew up in, the two kind of phrases that were highlighted were go and all nations. Go and all nations. And it was so inspiring to be part of that church. You know, we were part of this global church planting network. We, we had brother and sister churches all around the world. We were like working together to disciple the nations. And there were all these places that you could go to serve and be a part of kingdom work. And I remember my first trip. I went on a weekend trip to Lesotho with a team from the church. We went to serve leaders and do some training and discipleship there in Maseru, the capital of Lesotho. And I remember driving through the border, going through no man's land and just crossing into the city of Maseru and thinking to myself, I'm doing it. I'm obeying Jesus. I'm living out the Great Commission. I'm making disciples. I'm going to the nations. I was so pumped and excited. And I do wonder if maybe some of you need to hear those words today, go and all nations. I do wonder if God is calling some of you to relocate for the gospel, not just to relocate for jobs, not just to relocate for economic reasons or whatever other reason it might be, but to relocate for the gospel to a place where Jesus is saying, I am sending you there to share the gospel and to make disciples. If that's true, are you even open to that? The only thing is, as I speak about that, go and all nations, that this verse isn't just speaking about mission trips and it's not just speaking about relocating to other places to serve Jesus. It is that. It's not less than that. It's just more than that. If, and I say that because if that is all that this commission meant, then it would be so irrelevant for most of us or at least most of the time. You know, it would just be speaking to a small percentage of people that God is calling to relocate or to a small percentage of our lives when we go on mission trips for the weekend or a week or two weeks or whatever it is. So if it's not saying that, what does it have to say to the rest of us for the rest of our lives? Well, the word go in this passage is actually a participle, not a verb. I can see some of you just checked. I can see through my camera that some of you have checked out already. Listen, I studied English at Varsity. I am a bit of a word nerd, so I find stuff like this interesting. If not, stick with me for 30 seconds. This is very significant to this verse. A participle is a verb that is used as an adjective. I know, again, some of you just, you've, you've clocked out. For example, I am singing a song. The word sing can be a verb, but here in this sentence, singing is a participle describing what I'm doing. So when we come and read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, the verb is not go. So as you read it and Jesus says go, it's not saying relocate, go on a mission trip. You know, that's not the verb. Go is a participle describing the verb. And the verb here is make disciples, which completely reframes and changes the way that we see this commission. A better way of reading these verses is as you go, as you live your ordinary everyday life, make disciples because this is something we're called to do in all of life we're called to make disciples of our neighbors in the buildings that we live in we're called to make disciples of our friends at work we're called to make disciples of those that we train with and get to know at the gym what our favorite coffee shop or in the places that we go this is what jesus means by as you go as you live your life make disciples 
as you do your job, make disciples, as you go to the gym, make disciples, as you make a meal, make disciples, as you are around people, make disciples. The verb here is make disciples. That is the focus, that's the action. This is the work that we're called to as Christians. This is the application of the Great Commission. For you and for me, go and make disciples. So who are you discipling? And secondly, have you thought about the missional spaces that God has placed you as a disciple maker to make disciples? What Jesus says in Matthew 28 is as you live your life, make disciples, baptizing them into the fullness of God and teaching them how to obey all of my commandments. That's your commission and mine. Some of you might be thinking, how do we make disciples? Well, that's a whole other sermon. I have preached that before here. And we're going to actually talk about that in our life groups this week. But very simply, like with any question like this, what we can do is look at Jesus' life and ministry and learn from the Master. Jesus started by praying and asking God, who do you want me to disciple? Who do you want me to invest into? And then after he had those names, he knew who it was. What he did is he spent time with them. He set them an example of what it looked like to live out the word and the ways of God. He taught them the gospel. He, he showed them uh, right and wrong, the, the way of God and not the way of God, the word of God and what the word didn't say. And then when he knew they were in, that they were committed, that they were followers, he gave them tasks and application, things to live out and do to strengthen their faith and to grow them in the mission of God. That's a very simple time, example, teaching, application. That's all he did. What about the where and when of discipleship? You know, you might say, okay, well, that seems simple enough, but where am I meant to do this? When do I do this? Well, as we've said, discipleship should be happening wherever we are. And Jesus sets us this example throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of his life. We see Jesus making disciples around a meal, at the beach, on a boat, while they fish, around a briar, on a road trip or a work trip, in a field looking at sheep or vines or really whatever was around, as people ask questions or ask for prayer or healing or a miracle. In the temple, the religious spaces, in the non-religious spaces, in the midst of conflict, and even on holiday, Jesus took his disciples away for a bit of a retreat because they were so busy they needed to just rest and refresh. Jesus discipled on the go, and he used the everyday moments of life to link these eternal transcendent truths of God to our ordinary everyday lives. And this ordinary investment of Jesus into these 12 men changed them and in turn changed the world. Each one of us are called to follow Jesus as disciples and we're called to make disciples as we go. And this, I mean, this isn't complicated. Every one of us can do this and every one of us are called to do this. This isn't hard, but I do also want to say this isn't easy. Again, as you look at Jesus' life and his track record of discipleship, what we see with the 12 is that Peter kept telling Jesus what to do. Judas betrayed him for money and then hung himself. They all gave up and when Jesus was crucified, went back to their old lives and jobs and way of life. Years later, Peter even had to be rebuked after Jesus had resurrected and ascended to heaven. After Peter was leading the first church plant in Jerusalem, playing a role as an apostle, setting an example to others, being a disciple maker to others, Peter still needed to be rebuked for his prejudice and racism because he wasn't living in line with the gospel. Disciple-making isn't hard, but it's not easy. 
David Platt says, making disciples is not an easy process. It is trying, it is messy, it is slow, tedious, even painful at times. It is all these things because it is relational. Jesus has not given us an effortless step-by-step formula for impacting nations for his glory. He has given us people and he has said, live for them, love them, serve them and lead them. Lead them to follow me and lead them to lead others to follow me. And in the process, you will multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth. Harbour City, this is our mission. This is your mission. This is what Jesus has called us to, each one of us, to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life and in turn to multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to say to those of you watching this who've already checked out, don't disqualify yourself from what Jesus has called you to do. Don't disqualify yourself from what Jesus has called you to do. All of us have something to give. All of us have got a testimony of the gospel's work in our life, of what we've learned about Jesus, experienced of Jesus, seen of Jesus in the church that we can share with others. You, you might have someone one or two or three steps behind you that you have got something that you can give to them to help them to grow and mature in their faith. And on top of all of that, you are not on your own. Even today, the Holy Spirit is with us. We've been given the Spirit by Jesus to empower us for this mission to be with us, to lead us, to guide us, to help us. He is with you, even when you feel like you don't have what it takes. As we end, let me leave you with two questions this morning. Firstly, are you a disciple? And if the answer is no, or you've answered no, as I've asked that earlier today, I want to say you can become a disciple of Jesus today, just in the way that Jesus has shown us in Mark chapter 1. You can repent and believe this morning. You can rethink and trust in Jesus this morning and you can begin your journey of following Jesus and living for him today. So are you a disciple? And secondly, are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? This is really the end of our essential series which has been simple and foundational. I think for some of us, a reminder, hopefully a refresher about some of the things that matter most. But really, I've just highlighted three basics in our faith. Identity, who we are in Christ, and I've called us to live out of that identity. Secondly, belonging, the importance of belonging and being a part of God's family in the church. And thirdly, as we've ended today, really, purpose. You know, joining Jesus in the mission that he is a part of in this world. Being disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And Harvest City, I've already said this this morning, and I know you don't need to be reminded of this, but we are living through a global pandemic, through an unprecedented moment. We are still unable to meet as a church in person on Sundays because of venue issues, which is really difficult. And we'd love your prayers about that. Let's pray for God to make a way and show us the way forward. We might be facing a third wave and further lockdowns in the future. Who knows what the next few months look like? Probably one of the gifts of this last year has been that we've realized that we're not in control, or at least we're not nearly as in control of our lives and circumstances as we thought we are. But the good news is that God is in control. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is at work in the big picture of what is going on in our world and lives. So despite these challenges, Let's not lose sight of these three things in the midst of what we're going through. This morning, I want to call you to lift your head. 
you know, we can't keep on going in survival mode. We can't keep living with our heads down. Let's lift our heads and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's look into his beautiful face and fall in love with him again and be reminded of who he is. Be reminded of what he has done for us. And let's repent where we need to, where we've lost sight of him and what he's called us to do and these three things. And let's take hold of him again and trust in him. And let's live out our new identity as part of the new family and recommit and devote ourselves to this new mission of sharing the gospel and making disciples. Let's close with a little bit of prayer. Jesus, I pray for everyone watching or listening to this right now, that you would pour out your spirit into our lives, that you would make this real, not just information that we hear but that you would form us that you would reform us as your people living out this identity as part of the family of God fulfilling your mission empower us Holy Spirit and we pray for opportunities to make disciples I pray that you would show each of us who to disciple and I pray you'd give us the courage to join you in this mission and Lord I ask you for fruit the fruit of salvation, seeing our friends and family and the people around us come to know you. I pray for revival in Durban, for the Spirit of God to be poured out on our city and hundreds and thousands of men and women to come to know you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be used by you in the harvest field of the city to make disciples and to see people grow up into mature Christ followers. Would you use me? Would you use the person listening to this or watching this? We pray, use us in Jesus' name.